Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Primal Podcast. I don't know how it's taken me this long to sit down with my guest on today's episode. He is one of the founders of the ISI, the Irish Strength Institute, and we all know about my love affair with the lads and ladies down at the ISI. I am just in absolute awe of the value that these people bring to the world. So I am delighted to be able to have a conversation with Mr. John Connor. John, as I mentioned, is one of the founders and owners of the ISI and has recently completed a PhD in weight cutting. Now, most of us are familiar with scenes like Rocky pounding the pavement in his tracksuit or lads wearing plastic bags in the sauna to try and shed all that water weight before their fight. But I was so interested to bring John on as an expert to first of all explain to us what weight cutting is and how it works. Secondly, why it is different to weight loss because lots of people get caught up in trying to sweat out the weight. And we dive a little bit deeper into the actual effect that weight cutting can have on a person in terms of their performance and their physiology. On top of this, John is obviously also an expert in general health, fitness and performance. So he gave us some valuable information that will help us to optimize our own health and performance. He's such a super knowledgeable but extremely humble and friendly guy. I really enjoyed the conversation today and I am sure you will too. Welcome to our shared journey to find the answers to questions about health, wellness, nutrition, performance, life, and success, and to craft the most resilient, hardy, and happy humans you've ever seen. Welcome to the Primal Podcast. Dr. John Connor. Yes. <laughs> Thanks very much for joining me. No problem. I always uh, I get excited whenever I get somebody from the ISI at a table in front of me. One of the founders, actually, the ISI yeah. in front of me, it's, it's always a treat. So I really appreciate you being here. I'm going to dive straight in with you because I'm very conscious of a huge page of notes here. I'm not going to get through all of this, but I could keep you here all day. I okay. don't want to keep you here all day. So I'm going to dive straight in. So uh, you have recently competed. Is it is it the only PhD in the world on this particular topic? Oh, no, no, no. It's not the only no, one? No, no, no. Okay. So it's, there's many people have done it. Okay, yeah. okay. So, um might have been when I started, maybe no one else had done it, but definitely by now a good few people have done it. Yeah, so there's there's Reed Real, there's Chris Kirk, there's there's a good few of them. Okay. A, yeah, at, yeah. At some point during the process, I was told that John is the only man doing it on this specific topic. But would you? Well, maybe on hot bats. Maybe that's what yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On hot bats, specifically on hot bats. Yeah. Now other people have done bits and pieces on hot bats, but uh, hot bats as they relate to MMA. Definitely, I'll be the only one at the moment. Okay, so. okay. I, I I know people are listening here going, hot bats. And then they yeah. hear MMA and they're like, what are MMA guys doing in hot bats? Would you mind explaining to people who might not understand, first of all, a little bit about your background and then what we're talking about with hot, hot bats okay. and MMA people. So um, my background is, or what I currently do at the moment is I've done a PhD in weight cutting specifically in, uh, with hot bats and MMA. So I'm usually brought in to do a weight cut. So the weight cut is... If you're fighting on the Saturday, you usually weigh in on the Friday and you start to cut the Saturday beforehand. So that's what I would consider the weight cut part of MMA. Before that is weight loss. Okay, so that's separate to it. So when people talk about, oh, he did a 40 kilo weight cut or 40 pound weight cut, it's usually they're including the weight loss phase in that. Okay. So I only include the Saturday to the Friday. All right, now again, depending on what day it is, but the majority of the time it's that. So... I, um, in the last 24 hours is when they shift a lot of the weight. So one of the ways they do it is passive sweating. And two main areas of passive sweating are hot baths or saunas. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to induce sweating on the person 
in a passive way. So they they would probably, if you're weighing in on a Friday, you usually do the hot baths, the Friday or the sauna, the Friday morning. The day before, you tend to do more exercise-based uh, sweating, so more active sweating, whether that's bike, running, whatever. Um, so I study specifically the hot baths and the effects of salt on that. So fighters would use salt in the baths, uh, with the theory being it helps you lose more weight for the same amount of time in the bath, but we showed that it didn't. So I went in thinking it was going to, so it, I was like, oh no, it's definitely going to affect it. But we're still, um, I still want to do another study moving forward. Even though I finished the PhD, I'm still interested, very interested in the topic. And I want to do more research in this area because number one, I think it can be very dangerous if done wrong. Um, and then number two, it's, it, it leads to better performances from the athletes as well. Okay, okay. Some people who are listening might not understand why somebody would want to lose weight coming up to a performance event, especially one-on-one when someone's going to kick your head in. Like, yeah. so what, what is the weight cut? What's it for? So it's, it's, it's silly and it should be, like even though it's an area of my expertise, I think it's something that actually needs to be got rid of. Really? Yes. Okay. Because, so it's basically... Uh, weight classes initially in, in combat sports came from boxing to stop freak shows. So they were doing these freak shows where the little guy fight the huge guy. Okay. And they initially people were entertained by that and they were like, this is nonsense. So they, they did it to add more legitimacy to boxing in the beginning. Now this is well over 100 years ago they were doing this. And then it became a thing of like, okay, we'll introduce weight classes and I think there was only like two or three at the start and then they introduced more. So boxing at the moment has 15 weight classes and it's done so uh, competition is fairer, okay? Um, but then it, people in sport, especially people try and gain an advantage and try and gain any advantage possible. So they, over the years, they figured, well, if, if I'm fighting that guy uh, or I could probably fight that smaller guy if I lose some weight and then rehydrate back up and that gives me an advantage. So it's, it was initially done as an advantage over the opposition, but now everyone does it. So the, the advantage is gone. So yeah. now it's just a case of, can you do it well? Um, and if you can do it better than the opposition, then it gives you an advantage. But people are starting to catch up and everyone's doing the right thing. So me and you could be fighting each other, say, and we meet each other the Saturday beforehand. The two of us are 80 kilos. Two of us kill ourselves to get down to 70 kilos, come back up, we touch gloves in the middle of the octagon of the ring and we're about 80 kilos again. So we've just spent a week doing something that's kind of a waste of time. Yeah. And you want to be 100% when you perform. And even if you do it perfectly, you will still have slight decrements. And that's the problem. So you're never getting 100%. And now the thing is, is like, especially with those sports with head trauma and stuff yeah. like that, it's still not fully understood the effect of weight cutting on the hydration and brain. Um, so... It still should be something like, as I said, I try and do it so the, the guys who work with me are as hydrated and it's as safe as possible for them. And uh, we try and do it in such a way that it is, but there's still going to be some sort of drop off, you know, and, and, you know, ideally you'd like to get rid of it. But as long as it's there, you might as well try and do it as best as you can. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot, a lot of bits I want to pick up on there. But the first thing I'll say is I, I was under the misconception for a long time until I started to actually watch MMA and stuff like that that I didn't understand that there was a, a, a kind of a, a reloading phase beforehand. It's like, why, yeah. why is everyone cutting weight to fight 
but when you explain that there's a period of time, was it, is it 24 hours or It, it can hours? be, um, it's usually the day before. So they've changed the rules. So in the States, if you fight in the States, it's usually between 9 and 11 a.m. the day before. But if you're the main event, you might fight for 36 hours okay. after you weigh in. So that's a huge amount of time. So for the studies we've done and working with fighters in the past, it's that you pretty much regain everything you've lost and you might actually be a little bit heavier than when you started the process. Okay. So, okay. and that's what I mean. Like, and you, you, a lot of the times like there, there is advantages to be gained from it, especially in MMA with the grappling component, with striking, it tends to be um, less apparent to be the bigger guy. So like in boxing, they tend not to cut as much weight. Okay. Now that can be a bit more, I think boxing is a bit archaic in some of the stuff they do. So, uh, there's probably a little bit of that as well. It's like, it's so old school. Yeah. You don't know what they're doing. And you identified there that there's a big throwing shade on boxing there. <laughs> no, no, no. There's a big, uh, there's a difference between weight loss and weight cutting. I'm assuming weight cut is mostly fluid. You're, you're not, you're not losing fat and muscle and stuff like that in that short period of time. Yeah. You might, what would you say? You might lose a quarter kilo of fat in that week. Okay. Half a kilo at most, but it's not a huge amount. So, the, the guideline I give is whatever the weight class is, you're kind of talking 10% above that. Okay. So if someone is fighting at 70 kilos, the cut usually starts at 77. Now, like everything in life, there's uh, high performers in weight cutting. So you can get people that can do 12, 13% and then other people that can only do 6, 7%. And I think, and because of that, I think that's a problem because you're not actually, it's not the best guys against the best guys. It's who's better at weight cutting in some ways. So it's like a different competition now. It's almost like a different competition. Like you're taking away the martial art aspect of it and being like, right, who's better at cutting weight? Because if you, like I think, <clears throat> I don't know if you see the, the Pereira, the UFC light heavyweight champion. Yeah. He was like, yeah. apparently now, because a lot of times I take all of this stuff with a pinch of salt. He was 99 kilos fighting Adesanya, who would have been 92 or 93. Yeah. So, but you know, that, that can be a very big discrepancy when you're fighting someone of of same skill level. Like everything, if if you're roughly the same skill level, then strength comes into it, size comes into it. You know, so it's, uh, yeah, it, it's a weird one where it's like, I want to be really good at what I do, but I understand it's probably not the best thing either. Yeah, yeah, 100%, yeah. yeah. And I'm going to ask you a few questions. About that, <laughs> uh, we're probably, most people listening to this, unless they're uh, avid combat fans, are probably most familiar with like watching movies and the likes of Rocky <clears> and stuff <throat> and the sweatsuits going out and people in saunas and things like yeah. that. What was the show? Was it? Kingdom or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. With um, Frank Grillo. Frank Grillo, yeah. yeah. Well, Frank Grillo's a fighter, wasn't he? He was actually a fighter. Well, I don't know. I think uh, he yeah. fought some sort of amateur He definitely trained. Like he definitely trained with... He tr did a lot maybe of his training trained. in uh, Greg Jackson's gym. Yeah, which is, maybe yeah. that's what I, yeah. I, I heard, yeah. Um, actually, quite, how would you rate that show as a combat? Uh, I haven't but, actually watched much of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, it's it. always one of those recommended to me. But we're all very familiar with the the, the sweating process. What what does that actually look like? What does that process look like? How are these guys losing this weight? It's it's a bit mad. Yeah, right? so the, the, the biggest thing you're going to lose, so of that 10%, say, you're going to lose, uh, you do like a low-carb diet, so you can lose, depending on your ability. So when you get to that 10% above, I want the person fully hydrated, they have to be ideally at maintenance calories and eating plenty of carbohydrates. Okay. Because... If you go into it depleted, there's it means you have to uh, take more water out of the system, right? More fluid out of the system, and that's bad. So if you come into that week um, and you start on a low-carb diet, you can cut anywhere from two to, say, four kilos, depending on the person. 
Because right? of muscle glycogen stores? Yeah, so for every gram of glycogen, it's attached to three grams of water. Yeah. So, you know, it depends on the person. So sometimes, now, you never get rid of all your glycogen, but the better you are at storing it, and everyone's a little bit different, it can be, like, some people are as low as, like, one, one and a half kilos they do. Other people are up to four kilos. They can drop straight away wow. just from that. Then the next thing you try and do is you have, you're on a low-residue diet, which is at the same time you're doing this as a low-carb diet. A low-residue diet is you remove the fiber from your diet. Now, it's only for a few days, so there's no real adverse health uh, effect from it. Um, we kind of use, say, going to the bathroom as your indication if you're too low. And most of the guys I work with are fine. They, 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 they continue as normal. Not as much, but you're also not taking in as much food and there's not as much waste to go out. So a low-carb diet, or a low-residue diet is remove the fiber, and if you have a, a, a decent intake of fiber, that can be anywhere from half a kilo to a kilo on the scales okay. from going to a low-fiber diet because uh, water will attach to the fiber, which is in your digestive system, and you're basically just flushing that out, basically. So that can be another kilo on the scales, right? Now, most guys, fighters, I'll have... Everyone should take creatine. So there's, uh, like... Creatine is the most studied supplement, one of the most studied supplements out there. Also uh, one of the most misunderstood by the public. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the negative effects of creatine are never shown in studies. It's all anecdotal. Yeah. So now there's loads of stuff coming out now with creatine and brain health. And this is why I think for fighters especially, take creatine forever. I think everyone should take creatine um, and just take the cheapest one. There's no difference. Creatine monohydrate powder. Yeah. That's it. Don't, like, if it's whatever other crap is and they're trying to sell it, oh, well, this one is 20 euros versus this is 10 euro. Take the 10 euro one. It's, it's, it's all the same. And it's just take a low dose. So if they're on creatine, that could be half a kilo to a kilo of water retention. So if you cook creatine out for a week, you lose that, say, a kilo, but you retain the benefits for about three weeks. Oh, very good. Okay. Yeah. Now, the thing is, as soon as they weigh in, They'll reload creatine on the, on the Friday and they'll take it on the Saturday before they fight as well. Yeah, okay. You won't get your stores right back up, but you'll still maintain a lot of the benefits of it. Um, so then that brings you to, say, I oh know I did the last thing to water, is we get them to water load as well. So there's a couple of studies there. There's one by Reed Real and another uh, one out of Malaysia. I can't pronounce the name. It's NG. I don't know how you would say <laughs> that as the lead order. But they both showed that you increase your water intake above normal. So basically 100 milliliters per kg for a certain amount of time, you drop right down and dehydrate for 24 hours before weigh-in. And the people who water low tend to lose more weight on the scales. So by combining all of those things together, you should be down about 5% of that 10% you need to drop. And then the rest comes from uh, fluid loss. Okay. okay. So... You would wake up and usually the morning of. Now, every fighter is a little bit different. Some people prefer the sauna. Other people don't like being in the sauna because your head is hot. At least in the bath, your head is out of the bath. You're not as hot. Um, and then they get into the bath and you might do uh, 20 minutes in the bath. You get out of the bath and you wrap yourself um, in towels and... And usually they're in hotel room, lads, so that the lads do it and uh, wrap themselves up and get into a bed. And it's basically just their, their faces sticking out. So it's you use the bath to, to warm them up, get them sweating loads, and they jump in the wrap as a way of continuing sweating. So that's an hour. And then you might do that two to three times to make weight. And then you make weight and then you start the reload process. Okay. Yeah. 
So it seems pretty intense. It is, <laughs> but like everything, you you can train yourself to be better at doing it. Yeah. Okay. So with the sweating process, when you're born, you have up to you make your sweat glands. The total number of sweat glands from when you're born to age two is set, and that's anywhere from two to four million sweat glands throughout your body. The more heat exposure you have before age two, the more sweat glands you have. So if you're Irish, uh, you tend to have, no, on average, no yeah, less sweat glands. If you're Brazilian, you tend to have more sweat glands. And I'll do this with fighters where uh, the sauna in my gym will weigh ourselves before and after. And with the two of us, I'll get in and do the sauna. And I could lose in an hour a kilo. Mine is about 1 to 1.2 per hour. And I've other guys that can lose two kilos per hour. And some people are even more than that. Wow. So yeah. there's almost, there's a genetic, well, not genetic, but there's, a, it, 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 there's well, an advantage it's, from yeah. birth. Yeah, uh, not from birth, or but from definitely two. exposure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. And, but, so like everything, um, so you have, your sweat gland can atrophy or hypertrophy. So it can shrink or get bigger. So if you do uh, sweat gland training, so if you have more exposure to heat, your sweat gland will grow. And then it'll mean when you sweat, you can you can get rid of more fluids, right? Now that's mad. It's it's uh, so the guy who done a lot of it, he was saying that, and this part is is was super interesting. He says the reason humans are successful hunters is because of our sweat glands. So he says a lot of bigger game don't have sweat glands, so that's why they hunt in the morning and at dusk because they can't control the heat. So there's a lot of times humans would hunt them down. Till they get heat exhaustion, and then we kill them. This idea of subsistence hunting or whatever—is that what that's what's called? Isn't I, I'm not sure, like what way, but he was talking about it where we can outlast them essentially. We basically outlast them. It's not even fitness; it's just we can cool down. They can't. So you start hunting them in the middle of the day, Jesus. where we're better able to control our body temperature than they are. Yeah, there's a few things that Indigo's got to learn today. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Buono, B U O N O, guy of um, San Diego University, has done a lot of research on sweat glands. So he did it more for, you know, it's performance and fatigue. So if you're better, if your sweat glands are better trained, your core body temperature is lower before you start sweating. So if your uh, core temperature has to go higher, there's more chance of getting distressed. Okay. You know, so he did a lot of on. Um, especially long distance runners and then like, you know, severe marathon runs in like Sahara Desert and that sort of stuff. So basically it takes about two weeks of heat training to peak your sweat glands. So all through camp, we'll have uh, fighters do saunas and uh, like a lot of times I get them to do like hot yoga or Bikram yoga because you're kind of, you know, killing two birds with one stone where they're able to train their flexibility and work on their sweat glands as well at the same time. But <clears throat> the advantage in MMA is that grappling, uh, especially the more of your skin is covered, is a form of sweat gland training as well. Just because of the heat of your body, the heat of the other person's body, the two of you are yeah, holding yeah, yeah. each other and you tend to sweat more and ge generate more heat and sweat more. So like grappling itself is a form of sweat gland training, but I like them to do hot baths or saunas as well leading up to the fight wow that's great yeah, yeah. anyone who's seen the mats after <laughs> after yeah. a bunch of lads rolling it's yeah. there's a lot there's, it has to be sluiced off almost yeah. Like. yeah yeah so um yeah so that's what we looked at for for my studies was um comparing that protocol that 20 minutes in the bath 40 minutes wrapped twice so it was two hours for our protocol and the bath was with and without salt uh for that now 
we kind of built it up over time to each one was kind of leading on uh, or leading on from the previous work so Okay. Uh, and that kind of informs what we're going to do moving forward as well. Okay. Yeah. There's so, so much to this. Like, there's, there's yeah. so many areas you could kind of get that extra half a percent or yeah. percent, but it all adds up. But the biggest thing is people miss weight because they're too fat. <laughs> no, but it is. It's like, so that, that whole process I talked about, if you're, say, for we were talking earlier, 80 kilos, right? If you're 90 kilos, you're still going to roughly lose the same amount of weight in that week. It might be a little bit more because you have a bit more fat to lose, but your set point of what you can do in that period is pretty much the same. Yeah. Okay, I get So you. a lot of times lads miss weight because instead of being 78 and cutting to uh, 70, they're 81 or 82. So it's not that far. It doesn't seem that far off. But their limit is But they have to do six, all of that through fluid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they have to really, really dehydrate themselves and... I've seen it many times where lads get to the point where they're on an exercise bike completely wrapped up for 30 minutes, not a bead of sweat comes off them. They go from there into a sauna for an hour, nothing. Like they could exercise for two hours and literally not you lose like a gram on the scales because I, they've got to that point. I heard this the other day. Please correct me if I'm wrong here because I literally just heard this. At a certain point, if you're forcing this too much, does your, is it your liver or kidney starts to release a compound that essentially shuts down all water release? Like it says, keep all this stuff in. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So if your aldosterone is, okay. is is heightened and that's what you're trying to control, it's basically going to stop you. It's going to cause water retention. You're like, no, none of this. And you're, especially if you're doing this tight, you're, you're, you're basically causing the body to heat up. Your body doesn't want to release water to cool it down. And, and that's where problems happen. So you're trying to massage your body through the process without freaking it out so it doesn't go yeah. into kind of shutdown mode, essentially. Yeah. And again, there's, like everything, there's there's um, there's people who are better at sweating than other people. And I think there's definitely an advantage if you're very good at sweating, you can cut more. Yeah. Or you can, you can uh, shrink the period down. Okay, you can compress the window a little bit. Yeah. And you used the word there, dehydration. Would you class this as dehydration, like oh. this this weight loss process? That, that they're dehydrated. Um, so <laughs> I got called up on this. So that's why I have to No, no, no. But dehydration is the process: hypohydrated or hyper. Hy okay. okay. Hypohydrated is basically what in layman's term we'd say is dehydrated. And what? How do you class that? What What is hypohydrated? Is what's the measure of that? So from what we did, we would do. Um, urine osmolality and th now they say above 700 is you're dehydrated but we'd be getting lads who you know when they're stepping on the scales would be at 14 1500 so beyond that then you're going to start running into serious health issues like your kidneys are going to start shutting down because they're under too much pressure okay you might pass out because you're just you can't control the heat in your body okay yeah I've often heard before this comment about 1% dehydration can equal a 10% or more reduction in performance. But perform like what the hell does performance mean? Like, is it cognitive function? Is it is it muscle contractile strength? Okay, or? so what seems to be affected most is endurance performance is the most affected by, okay. uh, we'll, we'll say dehydration because, you know, um, by dehydration. So, and that can be anywhere from 2 to 4% dehydration. Now, the way they measure the 2 per 4% is your body mass. So, oh, okay. For ease of maths, if you're 100 kilos and you're and true dehydration you're 98 kilos, your endurance performance can be impacted. Now, the thing that's uh, tends to be least impacted is strength. So you can push it to 6-7% and not experience a decrement in strength performance. So that's, that's why 
in powerlifting. So say, for instance, if you looked at powerlifting and weightlifting, uh, powerlifting is, is uh, like they're both strength, but powerlifting would be more strength-based than weightlifting. Yeah. Weightlifting, there's more coordination requirements, there's more speed component. So, and it's hard to measure these things, but when what we seen, there was no drop in um, in speed or power, but there was definitely a drop in endurance, depending on when you test them. So if you give enough recovery, you can make a full uh, recovery of endurance performance. So in MMA or boxing, where it's like 24 hours to 36 hours recovery, you can make a pretty much a complete recovery on endurance. That's performance. really interesting, okay. Strength, you only need a couple hours. Okay. Power, or sorry, power, you need a couple hours. Strength, you could be fully dehydrated. Like you could, you know, you could be a anywhere from five to eight percent and be a, be as strong as you as you always are. Wow, so okay. And that's why some people will manipulate it for powerlifting competitions. And again, like how much you dehydrate or how much you drop depends on recovery and the type of sport. So say for instance, the extreme of where you wouldn't really do it would be a multi-day competition. So if you're a boxer in the Olympics or MMA at the IMAFs, which is the amateur uh, world championships, and you have to weigh in maybe four or five days in a row, you only want to be dropping one to two percent per day. Yeah. Because you have to perform every single day. Now, if you're, say, uh, fighting an amateur bout and you weigh in in the morning, but you're fighting a few hours later, you'd only do two to four percent of a drop. You know what I mean? Makes because, sense, yeah. To, because you need more time. And then, as you said, as you get day before, then it goes up to 10%. Okay. So it depends. Like, so it's not... Now, I know I know some people say jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu can be literally five minutes from when you weigh in to when you compete. So you shouldn't oh, really okay. do a weight cut at all. Yeah. You know, you want to be as close to the top of your weight class as possible, but you do that more through, you get as lean as possible and you want to be able to, to carb load and make, yeah. make sure you're ready to go. Now, I know people who have done full-on 8 to 10% weight cuts and compete in jiu-jitsu tournaments. Yeah, and won them. Really? Yeah. So, uh, but I wouldn't recommend that at all. That's <laughs> a very rare thing to be able to do that much and perform like that. That that would be, your skill level is so much better than the people in your category. Yeah, it's an outlier. Yeah, that you're able to dominate them and then when you finish your match, then you start re the whole rehydration process. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Okay, that's fascinating stuff. Yeah. I, I want it as well for me and for people listening because I know sometimes this stuff gets lost <clears> in <throat> translation. You're talking about um, strength, power and endurance and the effects of hydration there. But like when you're doing a sport like MMA, it's yeah. all involved. Yeah. So you can't just say, well, I'm going to be super strong. It doesn't matter if I'm dehydrated because if, if your endurance is poor, you're not going to be able to generate that force. So it's it's indirectly infecting your yeah, metrics and, and stuff as and well. I would always say it's like, I would actually say endurance is your most important quality your, in MMA. It's your base layer. Like. Yeah, yeah. I would say of anything, it's very rarely, you know, you're like, because of weight classes, it's very rarely like, oh, he's way stronger than me. Now, someone can be more powerful than you because a lot of times, like speed and power are very genetic. Strength, you can build strength. Endurance, you can build endurance. But... Because of weight classes, uh, I think the strength is kind of negated. Of course, you, do, you you know you get your outliers, but I always think endurance is your number one component for MMA because it's five minutes rounds, it's grappling, it's it's definitely uh, it's it's definitely key. So that's why the weight cutting process is so important. Like you might get lucky, 
making absolute balls of the weight cutting process and go and knock someone out in the first round. You're like, great. Yeah, yeah, never yeah. even got into that deep water. I got away with that. But you don't want to play those those chances. Right? Yeah, this is when everybody became an endurance expert with, with Connor when he was getting yeah. into later round. Everyone yeah. all of a sudden was an expert in endurance. Yeah, yeah. But it's kind of a good point because he had mad power. Yeah. But if the endurance isn't there, you can't deliver the power. Like, so, and I don't know if the exa- exactly what was going no, on no, behind, um, behind the doors. But. Yeah, so... So we would have worked with him early on. We would have worked uh, with John Kavanagh and yeah. SBG from 2009. So Tom Egan fought in the UFC in November 20 or 2008. And then they came to us early 2009 because he was like, John used to do everything. He used to do fitness training, nutrition, you know, the weight cuts, everything for them. And then he came to us in early 2009 and was like, right, I need you guys in. Um it was actually through Cottle Pendred, it, the yeah, connection yeah, happened. Yeah. And uh, so he he came over, chatted to, chatted to Owen initially, and then we we brought them in and started training them. So we would have worked with Connor up until t- 2015. Um, and he kind of came back and forth for a little bit of stuff. But the problem with um, fighters, right, and this goes for boxing and MMA, is you lose a fight, everything is wrong. You win a fight, everything was okay. right. So he lost to Diaz. Um, and then you know, in uh, endurance was the key issue. Now the truth is, is he he hadn't done as much with us as we would have liked up until that point. So you can't be as fit as you need to be if you're not doing the work. Yeah, you know what I mean. Now, like it's uh, his choice, whatever. But I still think like the type of work we do is like we do a lot of like modified strongman training or conditioning. Love that and, stuff. Yeah, I hate that stuff, but love. That yeah, stuff. yeah, and I think. Like, for that, I don't think there's anything like that for MMA. And I think, like, like I use a lot of heart rate stuff, but sometimes it just has to be, like, poxy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, now, there's, we, we do set it up in such a way there's, there, you know, there is a certain structure to it. There is a certain level of science behind what we're doing. But it's like, you're using those things to make it as hard as possible so that when you fight, it's not as hard as possible. So, and I think there was definitely a, a move away from that stuff. Yeah. Um, around that time. Like, he was traveling so much, he was away, he wasn't here. Um, and that's what happens. Like, And you it's, know. it's actually super, I know it's probably very prevalent in, in combat sports, but, like, that's in every sport. A team yeah. a team loses a game, and all of a sudden yeah. we try out the five-year plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, We yeah, bring in someone yeah. else. And I think, especially in Ireland, where, I don't know what your experience is, but there's not the level, there's obviously pockets of insanely qualified and experienced people in this country. But yeah. it tends to be in pockets. It's yeah. it's starting to seep in across the board now. But like, take GAA. That's my sport. Right. Every club has a different expert, and every expert, his dad told him this twenty years ago. So yeah. that's what he did. And then the next guy could be highly qualified. Yeah. So you always get heads butting, and the default seems to be go back to just flog lads. But yeah. it's not the same as what you just said there, because a certain amount of flogging when it's prescriptive. Yeah. And there's a definite outcome there is fine. But yeah. if it's flog lads, because this is how you get to where you need to go. That's old school. There's a problem there. Yeah, there? but that, I think don't think that's just in combat sports. It's, it's across the, the board. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. Now I have to say that though, like uh, I was saying to you, like I'm I'm in the fitness industry in Ireland for over twenty years, and there's so many good people in Insane. this country. It's actually incredible the amount of good people. But I, but I know what you mean. It it, it, it can trickle down, but not the right way. To, to exactly. yeah to to other clubs and other people like and it's funny because I'm doing it so long it's like and people come to me and tell me what they're doing I'm like how are you still 
how is it possible that like we're still doing this? Like me and Owen would have met uh, Liam Hennessy in 2008. So he would have been head of the IRFU um, conditioning over everything and like such a smart guy. Like he would have, he would have been in the old East Germany when it was, wow. when it was communist learning stuff. Like, so his level of knowledge is incredible. Jesus. The stuff he was, and, but you know, like, and he's done an incredible, um, uh, you know, what would you say? Fed out his knowledge to so many people and set up stuff that like the RFU have brought on a lot of good strength and conditioning coaches and, the GAA, the GAA have loads of good people. Like, I see a lot of stuff people are doing, I'm like, that's incredible, that's really good. Where, like, in the mid-90s, you wouldn't have seen any of that stuff. Like, so. What I find funny, like, again, GAA is my sport, so I speak on it, is up until very recently, there was some great stuff, but it was all super private. Because right. if we ha it's the edge, like, we have yeah, the edge, yeah. so it doesn't filter down to, to county level or club level. And even when it does, you get someone who happened to be behind the doors with the doves or something like that. It's not necessarily applicable to a bunch of, a bunch of lads who train yeah. twice a week. It, it's just a gap there. There's a progression there that's not being met. Yeah. So it, it yeah, it didn't trickle the right way. As but said, it, but as well as that, there is a like at elite sport as well is that every sport is like I was saying there with weight cutting is like is it are we in MMA finding out who are incredible at doing weight cuts and then. With every sport, it's like it's a culmination of it of elites. So yeah. it's kind of like just because it works with these guys doesn't mean doesn't mean we can feed it further down the line as well. Now, in a lot of cases, it does. Like a lot of my program design is pretty much the same across day one beginner, day one fighter, day you one know? beginner fitness or day one beginner anything. Any, like day really? one, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a lot of uh, so stuff I would have learned from Andre Benoit and Charles Polican. It's like structural balance, step up, split squats, leg curls, balance the body out that way. Now, the fighter might progress quicker through all of that, yeah. but they kind of all start at that same point. You know what I mean? And and it's funny, like sometimes with fighters, like they can do amazing things in a cage. They can do spinning kicks through the air and like their basic exercise technique can be terrible. Like, so you could get a, a CEO who has his understanding of weight training is much better and can he can progress faster. So it's not just, okay. it's not, now usually the athlete is better, of yeah. course, but it's not always that way. So here's my question for Ray, because I heard you speak about this to, to Ben as well. With this, I'm not going to call it corrective exercise, but this balance in the body out process, yeah. right? Because this is something I would have studied as well. You have people who can do incredible things and they can't do these basic like single leg exercises or yeah. their core strength is off. And that's a, one new coaches I've always found love doing. They'll come in, they'll pick the biggest, strongest guy and they'll do some simple little core test, like the wall test or something. And he, yeah. he can't do it. He starts trembling. He's like, see, he can't, he can't even do this. But your man's an animal at yeah. what he does. <clears throat> What's your take on, does that guy, that animal need to be super well round with all these um, base exercises and perfectly balanced if he's, if he's doing the thing? Do you think he has more potential if he sorts that stuff out? Or so, is he compensating or what's going on there? I, I, okay, it could be a couple of things. Every exercise has a skill component. Could it just be he has never been exposed to this exercise so he doesn't have the skill to do it? Okay. Right? So you know the uh, the lower ab strength test where yeah. your legs are straight, you bring it down? Yeah. So I remember uh, Polo can tell me a story of Paul Check came into a team he was training. Everyone failed. So Charles was like, hold on, I'll tell you what, come back tomorrow and retest everyone. And he said it was a hockey team and they were all able to do 15 reps with their skates on the next day. Because okay. he was like, these are highly skilled steroids, athletes. Steroids, definitely Always steroids. <laughs> Anyone stronger than you, it's steroids. steroids. But, um, but he was like, yeah, because they didn't know the skill. They didn't know what you were testing. 
okay. as well. So there's a case of you have to take that into account as well. Are you trying to catch them out? Because I probably would have done a little bit of that myself back in the day. We were like, I want to prove that I'm better than these 100%. guys. I want to humble them. But it's like, what am I trying to prove here? And now yeah. I, I don't care. Yeah. So it's like, show them how to do it and and get them to, it, like, so are they failing the test? Or it, it is, like, it's one of those things. Are Is the test showing you the weakness you wanted to? Or do they not know what's going on? And if you sh showed them how to do it, gave them a bit of coaching, could they pass it? Yeah. Because for me... The less shit that's wrong, the better. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know that's what I mean? Fair, so, yeah. now for some people, they want to find loads to go, look at this laundry list of stuff. Justify the, the, the way like, yeah. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix all these things. Like, and everything is like, what's the biggest bang you can do? Like, uh, I probably was talking about this, is like, I can still train my legs really hard without squatting or deadlifting. You know what I yeah. mean? And I can incorporate core stuff throughout and fix it fast if you kind of know what you're doing as well so it's not a case of right um, Andre Benoit used to say a thing to me is like you need to be balanced enough that right? was and, my question okay and and that goes for whether they're the CEO whether they're and for most people balanced enough is not being in pain okay you know get them out of pain they're balanced enough okay regardless of how bad the imbalance is if you're not in pain for most people it's balanced enough because you still need to like if someone's coming to you for results, so if they're, if they're just like, the majority of people that walk into a gym want to look better naked, so they want to lose weight, yeah. right? So you just have to train them hard enough to lose weight. So you can do that with corrective exercises, you know? So it's just finding the right level of that corrective exercise for them to do. Like one of my favorite exercises for people to do is a split squat, which is a very safe exercise on your lower back, on, you know but it can be very dangerous on your knees if you have shit knees. If you have good knees, it's fine. Go for it. But then in the case, right, you can't do split squat. What can we do? Right, let's do a step up. Right. Step ups are more effective the higher you go on the step. So then you get to a certain point and then their knees are sore on them. Right, what can we do? Backward sled drag. It's probably one of the easiest exercises to do. Yeah. And of any of them, you know, so it's kind of like, so some people are like, oh, we need you to squat. We don't need you to squat, but we, we work backwards from the squat to, to get them to do something that is going to achieve the goal they want, not my goal. Like they might walk in the door like, listen, you're talking about all this corrective stuff. I just want me six pack. What's the story yeah, here? Fair. Like, So it's like, you got to, uh, like I'm trying to achieve my goal while trying to get their goal at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't know if I'm explaining. No, that you're well explaining enough, really yeah. well. You actually covered a load of different areas. I wanted to ask questions about there, um, and I, I'm laughing because like the the ethos of of all you guys, and I have a lot of respect for for everyone in the ISI. Owen always says, and Rob Robbie said to me a couple of times as well. There should be like 50 different progressions and regressions of every single exercise depending on the goal of that person. Like, yeah, you can make it harder or easier, more relevant, less relevant, whatever. Um, and I, I like that too because it's very tribal at the moment in terms of this is what you need to be doing. Knees over toes guy. Yeah. Everyone has to do all these knees over toes exercises. I'm like, but what, what if Mary just wants to go for a walk and John wants to like win the CrossFit games? Yeah, yeah. Are they yeah, still doing yeah. this stuff? Um, so yeah, it's very, very interesting. And when you, when you start with the average person who comes in, do you favor that kind of unilateral style always, exercise? Always. Okay. The majority of the time, if if the window I have to work with them is smaller for something. Yeah. Like, okay. Denise comes in to train for a wedding. I don't need to squat with her. 
You know what I mean? If it, you know, I can I can achieve weight loss through corrective means, but just manipulating the program. Yeah. You know, it's just as you said, it's like if you do a step up correctly, then that's difficult. If you do a split squat correctly, it's horrible. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then it's just manipulating rest periods, and you might do, you know, you might go lower body, upper body, shoulder exercise, three in a row, no rest. And for some people, like, because again, it's like someone who's a high level person, that's too demanding on them yeah. because they, they're so coordinated, they're so strong, they're using so much more of their muscle mass that it's too difficult. You yes. know what I mean? Where with low level people, that's where doing things, lots of stuff together, then resting is more effective for them. Like, okay. and it's not to say they're not working hard. It's just their body's not at that point. Like you get it a lot of times now, it's not being sexist, but women wouldn't have trained to the same level and their endurance tends to be better. So you can push them to breaking point in a set and straight away they're able to talk. Where with some lads, if you push them to breaking point, they're not talking until they, they won't talk to you at all during the session because they're just saving their breath for the next set. And that's not to say either person, both people are working to their limit, but their limit means different things. Yeah, okay. So you have to know that as well. It's not a case of, well, if someone's talking, they're not working hard. No, it could be, their, you know, their training age, their 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 breakdown of like endurance fibers is different. It's, you know, so you have to take all of that into consideration. It's not just everyone has to be puking, everyone must be on the ground. It's you know, someone within the set can be working to their limit and as soon as it finishes, be fine. Okay. Where someone else can be working shy of their limit and be exhausted after their set. So okay. you have to take that into account. I didn't think we were going to get into this road, but I'm glad we did because I have loads of questions on it. Most people I feel who listen to this podcast anyway would be similar enough to me. Now I, I play football, but they, you want men and women nowadays want health markers. We're a little bit more aware of health markers, so a little bit more yeah. lean muscle mass, <clears throat> a little bit less adipose tissue or fat, a little bit yeah. better bone density, stuff like that. Kind of be a little bit harder to kill is the, the phrase that people are throwing around. Like, Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah, have you heard that one before, have you? <laughs> I want to be harder to kill. <laughs> have you not heard that one? Are you serious? <laughs> you know? I thought you'd been all over that. No. Yeah, I, like I like the concept of like I'm a bit more robust in okay, general. Right, if right. I fall down, I'm not going to break something. If yeah. I catch a cold, I'm not going to be bedridden. Uh, if I have to run to catch the bus, I'm not going to have a heart attack. That kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, I want to okay. play. People say I want to play with my kids, but like, what does that actually look like? Can you bend over? Can you pick your kid up? Can you can you jump up and down? Can you climb over a wall? Yeah. It's why I like the concept of CrossFit. Yeah, how how it, it it's manifested in certain areas can be a little bit unhelpful, but the concept I think is amazing. But like, I think it's <laughs> so again. My background is working with Charles Pollock and he fucking hated CrossFit. Yeah, but I think it's it, 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 like any tool. It's who's holding that tool, exactly. who's working with that tool. Yeah, and like when you look at it, CrossFit was probably the best thing that ever happened to weightlifting. Yeah, fair. You know what I mean? Yeah. And weightlifting coaches. Yeah. Weightlifting coaches are probably making more money nowadays a, yeah. than they ever made yeah. coaching Olympic athletes. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Olympic weightlifting is a fantastic discipline. A lot more of them do um, gymnastic stuff, yeah. which is very good. And then because of those two things, gymnastics and the weightlifting, you have to be a lot more flexible. Yeah. And then they throw in the endurance component as well. So you're kind of hitting a lot of the modalities where 100%. It, it, like, it's more cross-training and if you do it correctly, you probably are a healthier individual. Yeah. Like, if, like if you're able to like, I don't know what the markers would be, but like, you know, power clean your body weight, do a handstand and run a 23-minute 5K, 
you're, you know, you're ticking a lot of boxes. You're a bit doing, hard to kill. Yeah, you're a bit <laughs> When the zombie apocalypse comes. Oh, it's coming, man. I'm telling you, it's coming. I am prepping for it. Where would you start then? Because I agree with you. Like, that's why I said the concept of CrossFit is amazing. Like, it's all these different disciplines and areas where you become, you know, a, a, you're kind of a jack of all trades. Yeah, but you could yeah. become a master of, of a lot of trades. Yeah. It's the competition side of it that pushes the boundaries a little bit for some people who might not be yeah. able for it. But if you have this, this, average person what is the average person you have this average person come in and they want to be that you start which is that crossfit athlete or not, not the crossfit well rounded well rounded okay it's the same process it's the unilateral stuff it's the corrective exercise yep. in terms of like intensity and stuff like that because a lot of people now and myself included would f like okay where do I start I'll get a program where do I get the program YouTube well this guy's yeah, in great yeah, shape yeah. and it, there's a million different messages out there am I doing five fives am I doing GVT am I doing CrossFit yeah. am I going balls to the wall all the time if I'm doing this for the next 25 years right I'm 34 now I'm doing this doing this for the next 50 years yeah. what should that look like big picture in terms of like intensity and training blocks and all that I'm not looking for you to prescribe anything now but no. just in general what no, are we looking it, at there it, I think so the problem is is like you're talking here. Things so, change, yeah. No, 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 but in, in the sense of like, so we're in January. Yeah. This is when people go and ruin gyms. Yeah, <laughs> ruin gyms. But the thing about it is, is that if you are not training at the minute, any training is good. Okay. So if you've gone, like, and this was like one, like one of the good things that came from COVID was a lot, of more, a lot more people exercised. Yeah. So I think one of the studies I read on it was like, People who are really into fitness exercise less just because they would less access to stuff. The average person was exercising more and there was a lot more people who were completely sedentary all of a sudden started exercising. And, <laughs> but the, the, the downside of that was I know a few physios and I was texting them during it going, listen, I'm outside looking at people running. You're going to be very busy when things reopen. Yes. Yeah. No, but it's, people don't run, they speed limp. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> But that's an issue as well. Is like, like you said there, where do I start? And it should be like, well, what are you doing now? Nothing. Walk every day. Walk. Is that enough? For where you are now, walking is all you need. And then once you've done that, and it, 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 then let's do some weight training. You're like, how many days a week? How many days are you doing now? None. One day a week. What should I do? Unilateral stuff. So just split squats, step ups, do leg curls. Nothing that requires a lot of um, coordination. Do that. And then go from there. So then depending on what the program is or what the ultimate goal is, like um, uh, I'm very proud of like the person that came to me recently that had a heart defect, hated training, but now trains. So didn't want to train, but was made train because of this. And now trains four or five days a week. And at the start, I was like, I hate training. Wow. It's so boring. And now they love it. You know what I mean? And and and, and the same, same thing. What do you do? Let's do one day a week. Oh, but I, I heard I need to do, you know, don't worry about that. Yeah, let, yeah. Let, just do your one day a week and go from there. Okay. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, one is bigger than zero. <laughs> Two is bigger than one. Fair, yeah. And just go from there. Like people try and make it really complicated. What about this the conjugate Russian system that <laughs> Westside did? You're just like, what are you talking about? Like, and it's like, and I know before we started, we were talking, the, the, the number one thing for everything is consistency. Yeah. So if you're consistently doing it, like some pairs, people might be doing the ultimate program one week out of 52. Yeah. And you did a good program 52 weeks out of 52. And you are going to be better than that person. Damn it, John. Yeah. I wanted you to give me the secret answer here. Yeah. Not, not consistently. I wish I knew the secret answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and in, in, with, with your clients, 
do you have a preferred focus? I know males and females are different, where they are is different, but on is a, obviously fat loss is a big issue there. Um, but in terms of longevity metrics, muscle gain, is that a priority? Strength. So your strength. your big thing is is gain strength, gain lean mass, and maintain that. Okay. Yeah. So now it's kind of like <laughs> my journey has changed as I've got older. Like in the forties, my warm up is probably longer than my workout is. <laughs> um, but it's a lot of that. It's like like you're saying there with people. It's like I want people to have kind of basic movement control. Like even if I'm not going to load a squat heavy. I want you to be able to squat. I want you to be able to squat without having to take 20 minutes to, to do a bodyweight squat. Now, when I mean bodyweight, I don't mean bodyweight in your back. I just mean your unloaded body. I want you to be able to squat. So it's like building to that. Where's tight? Where's weak? What do we need to build up? And it's 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 building that as well. Like So flexibility is a big part of it as well. Um, component. And it can be a little bit forgotten in like strength and conditioning circles, especially but you, you kind of always look at that movement quality as well for people. Okay. Pain-free. Like, there's nothing worse than an injury. You, you forget about all your other, you know, high-level goals if you're if you're in pain. Yeah. So it's being pain-free is a big one. And that's why I, I really like the structural balance kind of unilateral format to start. And depending on the person, you could stick with that the whole time and still get very good results. Very good. Yeah. Are, are there any common trends that you see the modern person, like statistically with all the clients you look at now, I know it's across a wide range of backgrounds yeah. and stuff like that. Do you see trends that are kind of attributed to the modern lifestyle? Yeah, but it's like, because people sit down a lot, so you're like tight hips. That's yeah. another reason why I really like the split squats because you're opening up their yeah. hips. Um, like I do sports massage, ART, stuff like that. And you could probably, I could probably run an entire practice if I wanted to just focusing on, you know, people's neck. You know what I mean? Because we're, we're sitting down and now, we, especially on phones and stuff like that, it's, you know, so we do a lot of, I do a lot of stuff of like trying to correct that. So like across the board, tight hips, super tight shoulders are very common in, in everyone you see and trying working on opening up that as well. Yeah. What are some of the problems? Because like, I'm asking these questions now that I never used to ask 10 years ago when I was, because I was an AT. Is that a problem? Like if someone has tight shoulders and they don't want to be overhead squatting and stuff like that, is it a problem? Uh, what, what do you mean in the sense that like if they want to overhead squat no so like the vast majority of people will never overhead squat yeah but you have and again it's a funny one because it becomes tribal like if people I'm not, I'm not having a go here but like Kelly Starrett and, and, and stuff like that who are like everybody needs to have this full range of motion and I'm like yeah. does the end of that sentence is if you're an Olympic lifter, if you're a, a yeah, fighter, if yeah. you're, like does everybody need have to have a certain level of kind of flexibility in certain areas to be pain-free in um, your opinion? Okay, so we say there, like I, I want everyone to be able to do a squat. Yeah. An unloaded squat. Now, if they're able to get into the bottom position, it might look ugly, but once they can get there, it's kind of like, depending on how much loading I want to do on that person, I'm like, okay, that's good enough. Yeah. Um, Being able to lift your, your arms over your head without compensating massively Fair, through okay, somewhere yeah. else, that's enough for me. Yeah. Like an overhead squat is like, Very difficult. if someone comes into you at age 45, and they haven't exercised since their age 15, and their goal is to lose weight, how long are you going to maintain them as a client if all you're doing is stretching? Yeah. You know, yeah, now, yeah. if they, because they're walking in going, why are you getting me to do this? I don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they're working towards your goal, not their goal. Yeah, fact. So, it's like, for me as a trainer, yes, I want to build and be able to do that. I want to increase the flexibility of their shoulders, their upper back, all of that. But, I can still do that while focusing on other stuff. And as I said, it's, are they balanced enough? Yeah. 
And again, balanced enough can mean, you know, as I said, for the for the baseline, balanced enough is being pain free. And then beyond that, it's like uh, getting so they can do an unweighted squat and they can lift their arms over the head. So for me, it's like maybe not an overhead squat, but definitely like dumbbell shoulder press. Can they do a dumbbell shoulder press? Because you know yourself, like some people, no, over your head. Yeah. So it's Just like... Standing bench press, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like they have to be able to do an overhead dumbbell press and for me it's probably enough flexibility in their upper body yeah. for what they want to do okay. and if they're pain free you know and most people will be pain free if they're able to do that yeah perfect yeah. the reason I ask the question is as I said things get very tribal nowadays like with diet or movement or strength and like you yeah. have to everything's a religion it's a religion yeah. and it's always the extreme end of something so a lot of yeah. people actually it, it holds people back from doing anything because they think well if I can't do fucking 100 kilo overhead squat I shouldn't be doing anything I can't lose any weight it's just not me I'll just sit my ass I still get that so um, I used to train Ronan Keaton years ago oh very good yeah and there's an article on the wall in the gym of when I trained him so, so uh, I can't even Sunday one of the Sunday papers it was in and it's the the headline is the the trainer who says no to carbs and a lot of my <laughs> clients looking and go what was and I was just, but like it, like you were saying I was very tribal yeah. it was like paleo did, and you could only have carbs if like you were really lean already and it was post workout and but it's like you learn like like that's not the right answer yeah. you know and it's moving on rather than digging in deeper 100% you know what I mean yeah. like this like you're talking about tribal stuff like say for instance like the carnivore diet is basically a reaction to veganism <laughs> It's not scientific. It's just a reaction. It's like, oh, we don't like those people. So what can we do that's different? Let's go the opposite. Yeah. Now, there's elimination diets that have their place, but like, it's, it's silly. <laughs> it's just silly. Yeah, and it's 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 unfortunate, really, because there's a lot of these guys, like, what's the kind of our MD? What's his name? Paul something or other. Saladino. Saladino. Yeah. And there's people like that. E- even, and I'm going to say, I did an episode on Deliver King, people like this, right? right? And a lot of the stuff they speak about has massive merit. But if the twenty percent that they add on that becomes extreme, that causes people to ignore absolutely everything. About like that the, what's his his thing is the nine ancestral tenants. Like you look, you go through them, and you're like, deadly. nothing's wrong there. No, they're deadly. Nothing's wrong there. But the whole thing is, is like the people. The reason people are listening to you is because of how you look. Yeah, yeah. It's nothing to do, with, and you look the way you look because you took a boatload of steroids. Yeah, this is on his his natural his natural. Uh, Regression now from steroids is doing oh. 22 days natty now or something like that. He puts it up every day. <laughs> 22 days. Something like that, yeah. And it, to be fair, he's lost a considerable amount of size. Already? Already, really? yeah. Wow. It's dropped wow. off. Absolutely yeah. dropped. Now, he was ridiculous anyway. But uh, yeah. but yeah, it's the problem with this extreme, and even like their extreme cases, take veganism or a- any sort of diet that's thrown around nowadays. For most people, it's probably not optimal. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you can't be healthy doing these things, but for most people it's probably yeah. not optimal, but it causes confusion among people. It's why I yeah. love doing doing this and asking these questions from people yeah. who are actually experienced. Because <clears throat> you said this before the podcast, it's usually the basics. It's usually for Most of us actually know the answer already. Yeah. We just need a little bit of guidance and, and help with this stuff. No, but like everyone knows like, well, if you want to lose weight, you know, an apple's probably better than a donut. <laughs> But it doesn't mean you can't have the donut. Yeah. But it has to fit in with everything else. Like it's always, everything is your net balance. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now, if 50% is good, 50% is bad, you probably won't get results. If 80, 90% is good and 20% is bad, you'll probably do well. And again, it's, we have to stop concentrating on, like, as I said, it's like, so when I'm dealing with professional athletes, they have to get it in weight classes. They have to get as lean as possible so that the weight cut is easier. So they can, you know, you know, 
if for them, fat is a non-contractile tissue. It doesn't really help. You know, we so if we can lose an extra two kilos of fat, gain an extra two kilos of lean mass, which leads to, you know, being stronger, being more powerful, helping your endurance, then, you know, that's critical. But for the average person, who cares? Yeah, and that's a really important definition. Yeah. Th- thanks for making that clarification there because it depends. And it's the answer everybody hates. An elite athlete mm-hmm. is not someone you should be looking at for health recommendations because in a yeah. lot of cases it's not healthy to be an elite marathon runner it's not healthy to be an elite MMA fighter no. it, it literally get boxed in the head for yeah. a living like <laughs> it's not healthy to be an elite bodybuilder even though you might look like a Greek god it's I've, I've yet to meet a bodybuilder who has all the health metrics that you'd like to have at the age that they're at like it's a difficult thing to, it's a very impressive thing to do most of us can't do it but like you respect it massive respect yeah. mad like, respect like I I hate running Hate it. I hate it too. But people who do marathons do, and the times they do that, like nothing but respect because it takes, and triathlons and Ironmans, it's like, I couldn't think of anything worse for me to do. Like I get bored driving five kilometers. I can't imagine cycling a bike for 180 kilometers. But I have so much respect for people to do that. Yeah. But it's, I, I, I just don't want to do it myself. But when people get to extremes, they get injured. Yeah. They, you know, they pick up knocks. Like when, you go through the level of injuries like some of the lads I work with in MMA have. It's it's incredible because, you know, you're pushing all the time, you know, and it, and it can be hard to find that balance of pushing, recovery, and we're definitely getting better at it as we, as, as we learn more about it. But it was like, yeah, you need to be willing to back off. And it's and the more exposure you have to that stuff, because it's, it's an unsafe environment in the sense that, it, you know, say for instance, especially with grappling sports, the slightest thing and you can hurt yourself. You know what I mean? You could be fresh, not a problem. You step back the wrong way, someone slips on you, lands on your leg, and then your knee is gone. You know, so it's like, and the more time, more exposure you have to those elements, the more chance you have of being hurt. And you can do everything you you, you possibly can to negate that, but you can still get hurt. With athletes that you work with, elite level combat athletes, do you see more of a toll being taken on the body from the, the punishment of getting punched and grappled and choked out or the levels they have to push themselves to to compete at that level in terms of training and like weight cutting and stuff like that? I would say it's grappling is is the one. It tends to be grappling they get hurt in the most. Really, yeah? Yeah, it's just, it's awkward positions happening. And, um, okay. Yeah, now depending, like so you can, like I'm working with a heavyweight boxer now and he keeps running when I'm telling him he doesn't need to run so he keeps getting calf and foot problems like why are you running we don't need you to run you know so <laughs> th- there, there is an element of that but yeah for the unsafeness it's usually um, grab- but you get mad stuff where like lads can get caught doing stuff like uh, like some of the MMA rounds or something like that and they like sometimes I remember years ago in the old cage they had uh, someone got really bad cut on their back and then had to pull out of a fight because they went backwards and whatever way the padding was it'd come off and there was a bit of a like the cage sticking out and it cut across their back and they couldn't fight so yeah so but it's more the punishment from the actual combat than the process of training and weight cutting and all that kind of stuff I'm, I'm thinking like kind of in terms in the of sport, in the sport as in when t- they compete like that's probably very very little yeah. of what happened because like a fighter at the top end will fight two to four times a year. So the actual damage yeah. they have done in the cage is minimal. Is minimal compared to training. Yeah, like training yeah. is way higher okay. in, in that. Where in say, I don't know, maybe if you were playing rugby or something like that where they probably just manage you all week and then you go out and 
smash each other yeah, every week. Yeah, yeah. There's probably more injuries in games there than training. But definitely in MMA, there's very few injuries in the actual uh, fight itself. It's funny, isn't it? Because you think yeah. that these two people are going to have to kill each other. Yeah. <laughs> and there's yeah. not as many Of injuries. course there's injuries, but in general, more injuries would occur uh, in training than when they're fighting. And that's just because of exposure. It's, if yeah. they were fighting every week, there'd be more. Be more yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, to circle back around to obviously your area of expertise again, because you just you mentioned creatine, and I just want to ask you a couple of questions about that from a brain health perspective. Yeah, can I ask you a few yeah, yeah. questions on that? Because I I recently started to read a lot about creatine as a nootropic, but again, it's very misunderstood. Could you just explain to people how creatine works with the brain? Like I actually mechanistically, not I necessarily don't know. mechanistically, I don't but know. why is it beneficial for brain health? Oh, I'm more. So the, the studies I would read, I, I like for something like that, I would read more outcome-based stuff rather than okay, yeah. the actual process of it. So it's more I just look at, you know, they look at cognitive decline over five, ten years and people taking creatine at less cognitive decline. Why is that? I don't know. Okay. I don't need to know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I just yeah, know yeah. that they've they've measured it over a certain period of time and it's been shown to, to be better. And I think now from people I've talked to, um, I think for uh, now for one of the things I look at is for concussions and stuff like that yeah. and they think it's because uh, creatine absorbs water yeah. so they're thinking in the brain More it just hydrates the brain wow. just that fraction enough to, to make it protective that's know? so interesting yeah because yeah. Yeah, obviously like you said it the world's most researched sports supplement and there's still yeah. a stigma around creatine it's a steroid yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it does all these magical things like it's just water weight and it's like there's probably little elements of truth to all these different yeah. things but uh, for MMA athletes, a massive performance benefit from using creatine. Yeah, well, it's it's a like I, I wouldn't even think of it from the sports performance. I'd have them all take it because of the brain stuff. Okay, really? Yeah. 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 Well. So, yes. Now, I would have recommended taking it before that uh, because of its implications on strength and power, but and hydrating the muscle. But I would say now it's like yeah, everyone everyone should take it, especially people that like on average we are living longer and stuff like that. So. For cognitive decline, and especially like you talk to people, um, like who have people, uh, say parents that suffer for dementia or stuff like that. It's, it's the worst thing in the world. Yeah. So it's like the sooner you can start taking it, the better. Hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'll, I'll throw my own disclaimer in on that as well, because again, you have to. With nowadays, like with the extremism thing we were talking about, creatine is not going to stop you getting dementia, but. If you're worried about something like that, there's a multitude of things you can do on creatine. Yeah. One of these tools, like anything, like as yeah. I say this about everything that comes up, like mental training, steroids, alcohol. These are all just tools, yeah. and you can use them effectively. But yeah, I have heard that before about creatine in terms of uh, it's not going to stop you getting dementia, but it's slows the client. Yeah, and yeah. it could be a very, very effective tool as part. Especially of that the, the earlier. Now, again, it's one of those things. It's very hard to do a long term. It's very yeah. hard to go right, right. Don't like give them creatine. No, but like, if, like uh, you're going to start a 40-year study now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, no, you're not. Yeah. But it's it's kind of like they have to do different things. And it, it like, it's one of those things, well, looking at, the, the you know, the two, the five, the 10-year studies we have done, this would lead us to believe that this would slow that down. As you said, it's not a guarantee. But if you, like, creatine is a relatively cheap supplement. You shouldn't be spending a lot of money on creatine. Like, uh, and if, if I'm going to prioritize stuff, I would put that up there as one of the key supplements I would take. People take, I wouldn't be buying Alpha Brain or anything like that. I'd be buying creatine. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So. Deadly. <laughs>
I'm going to wrap up now shortly, but a couple more little questions I just want to ask right. about I have you here. Uh, obviously, you've explained really nicely there with weight coating and recomposition or rehydration or whatever you want to call it afterwards and it be done safely and you can regain performance and all that kind of stuff. For the vast majority of people listening to this, it's weight loss. Yeah. And the more extreme versions of that that I've seen are a lot of these transformations. And again, <clears throat> a lot of controversy in the industry about this have their place. I believe they have their place for certain people in a certain state who can manage it properly and are coached properly and have all the things surrounding them. That, yeah, have their place. Fine. Go, go for it. Knock yourself out. But in the vast majority of cases, that's not the case. And there's a lot of people who are normal people who see a picture on Instagram. They want to get shredded and they do a show and then after going to the distance, they're after dropping 20% body fat and they're down to 8% for the show and then the day after the show, off you go, enjoy your life there and there's issues with food and all that kind of stuff. Do you see a lot of that going on? Do you deal with people who want to lose massive amounts of weight? Um, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't deal with maybe... I because of how I deal with people, I don't really deal with the after effects of that. I don't do physique shows. I don't like yeah, I, I've trained I've trained like over the years one or two people for it, but that wouldn't be what I do. Um like I'm I'm definitely like one of the studies I want to start doing now is looking at the effect of uh, uh multiple weight cuts on basal metabolic rate. So how it affects cool. your metab your metabolism. Um now there's been one or two kind of case studies on fighters doing cuts, which shows it if it's it's affected while doing the cut, right? But I my thing would be is it affected long term? So there's other stuff of like say uh it's like a Danish Olympic Council study where they showed that I think it was like 10 years after retirement, anybody involved in a weight class sport, their BMI was much higher than what it should have been. Wow. Now BMI as a, a standalone tool isn't great, but for populations, it's actually okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So people who compete in weight class sports tend to have uh, way more weight gain after retirement than people who just play sports on average. And again, is that because they ruin the metabolism? Or, or the relationship that, with food. Or the relationship with food. Yeah. So uh, that's one of the things we want to look at. So it's uh, um, how affected is the metabolism from that? Um, but there's definitely, if you are, uh, if you were in a calorie deficit for a long time, your basal metabolic rate will be lowered. So as long as, now it's not as long, but as long as you spend coming down to that way, you should be spending time going back up in weight as well, rather than, you know, I got on stage and now I'm straight to McDonald's, Pizza Hut, Domino's. Yeah. And then I do that for a few months and then I stop training altogether because you definitely, Especially women are um, women's metabolism is definitely a bit more delicate than men's, um, so so if women do like a bikini show or something like that, they have to be very careful with how they rebound afterwards. Yeah, you know. I suppose the question we ask is like, if someone is is doing a show and then stepping off stage and going to McDonald's, what what are we doing here? Like, because do you expect to get to eight percent body fat and stay there for the rest of your life? Is that yeah. what you're expecting? Because then we yeah. need to educate you a little bit more. Or are you just doing it for the show and you're happy coming back up to a healthy weight? But there's there's plenty of people that like do those three month extreme. Like did they be in shape and then they do three months extreme like photo shoot prep or something like that. Yeah. And, and there's not nothing on the other side of that. So that's my question, yeah. But there's nothing wrong with training for that. But no. But um again, like I'm training people to nearly <laughs> Trying to kill them through dehydration. <laughs> so, but it's, but for me, it's like, we talked a lot about the wake up process, but the rehydration process is what was where your performance comes from. 
So you, you try not to stress them too much getting to the way and then you have to make sure you hydrate and refuel properly afterwards. Now that's a short-term thing, but as well as that, as one of the things I said at the start, the reason people miss weight is because they get too fat. So I have to be very careful with fighters that they don't like do a Ricky Hatton on it and blow up in between fights because then all you do is, all you're doing is training to make weight rather than to compete, scale, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so it's like, it's very cliche, but John Cavanaugh had the thing of like, stay ready. And that's the thing is like, so if someone's competing at 70 kilos and we're kind of saying they want to cut from about 77, you only really want to get to about 80, ideally. Yeah. And then stay there. Because the whole thing is, is if you can get there and, you know, through property and you keep drive, driving up your maintenance calories, then the wake up becomes easier because then you're eating more on a wake up. So if you... If you're able to drive up your maintenance to three, three, two, three thousand five hundred calories, to, to then drop down, you're eating way more food than you might have at the very start of the process. Yeah. And that's ideally what you want to do rather than, yeah, I got absolutely shredded, got on the scales, and then I spent two weeks putting on 10 kilos of fat on, you know, and now I have to I have to start all over again. And it's like, right, yeah. now you're in a massive deficit, you know. And and that's another thing with injuries is that you're more prone to being injured in a deficit. Yeah. So if you can get to a decent way and just sitting at maintenance calories, your training camp is about getting better as a fighter as well, you know? Yeah, fact, And, and yeah. that's another thing is, and the, the message or the takeaway from that is with people is do periods of trying to lose weight, but back over. You can't just constantly be trying to lose weight because then they snap. Like there's long-term studies done where most weight gain over your lifetime is done two weeks over Christmas, two weeks on your holidays during the summer. You put on, say one, two kilos at each, lose half a kilo to a kilo, but you're still two kilos up for that year. Yeah. And you just keep repeating that process over and over again till all of a sudden you're 20 kilos overweight and you're like, how did this happen? It's not, you don't do it super fast. You do it slow, but like it, it should be a case of when you're losing weight, diet for a period, try and come back to maintenance, drive your calories back up, go again. You know, as I said, a lot of it is, it's another problem in the fitness industry is like, severe before and after photos and very small time frames as people go well that person did it well that's the outlier yeah it's also lighting and yeah. manipulation and all yeah, stuff, yeah yeah but it's it, it's it, it's not reflective of what's actually better for you long term it's like yes it's good to every now and again to do that but you know long term it's you, you can't expect that because the amount of people that come to me and they're like oh well I seen this thing and they lost six kilos in three weeks and I'm only down two kilos in four weeks. And I was like, yeah, but that's still a pound a week. Yeah. That's still good progress. Oh yeah, but the extreme, because people don't realize, like I always try and explain to them like the bell curve. I'm like, you know, 66% of people sit here and then you have people who are good and then people who are very good at either end. Yeah. And when they're showing you photos, a lot of times is they're showing you that good or very good, not the average. Yes. Okay. So you have to realize that like, and depending on how popular the program is, if like 10,000 people go through a program, you're going to get 12 people that have insane results. Yeah, yeah, but they're a yeah. tiny percentage of the population. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's, the way you explain it there, it's, again, it tells me how important like knowledge and empowerment is for people because if they understand that it's those two two-week windows where they're going to put on the weight, once you have that knowledge, you yeah. can plan a little bit. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be extreme at all. And it's actually funny because I started this conversation thinking that weight cutting was nothing like weight loss. But actually, if you look at the models, 
You don't want to get too much, go too extreme. You want to stay around where you need to be most of the time. Have a little dip for performance. So you want to go to the beach for two weeks and look a little bit tighter or whatever it is. Yeah. A little dip of performance there and then bring it back up to maintenance again and maintain it there. Don't do something crazy like going from 30% body fat to 8% for a show and then rebound and create because it'll never yeah. work in the long term. Don't be so close to being overweight that Christmas pushes you over the edge. <laughs> Just understand. Yeah. Because yeah. most people say, well, I'm not giving up my Christmas. Don't. You don't have to. Factor it in. Yeah. Put it in yeah. the plan. It'd yeah. be absolutely grand. Yeah. So actually the models are quite similar, even though they're completely yeah. different things. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. Uh, John, I'm not going to keep you much longer. You've been very, very generous with your time. I have a million other questions to ask okay. you, but I'll get you to come back on at some point yeah. if you don't mind. Uh, you are writing a book, you told me. This is uh, a book in the... In the um, book, yeah, putting that out there yeah, for the world yeah. now because you want it to be held accountable. So Yeah, so I'm going to... I'm writing a book on weight cutting, scientific weight cutting. Brilliant. It's going to be called. So, but a lot of it is, like what we're talking about there, a lot of it will focus on... Uh, well, there'll be four main parts. The weight loss part, how to do that properly for, like, in general. Like, most people could probably read that and get something from it. Then the weight cut phase, the uh, reload phase, and then the in-between phase. So, Brilliant. you know, not to get out of control. Kind of what we were just finishing off on there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, like, I, I, I've I've put together a lot, but there's a lot more to a book than you think before you start. I've never written a book, but anybody yeah. I know has written a book. That's exactly yeah. what they say to me. It's like, yeah. I knew the stuff, but like 90% of this is actually trying to put it together and make yeah. it make sense, trying to yeah. edit it down, make it digestible. Yeah, and it's trying to find your voice. That's what people keep saying to me. I'm like, oh, I don't want my voice. Get a ghostwriter. <laughs> they just write it for you. Um, and in terms of your work going forward, you're going to continue working with MMA athletes and... Boxers, gym. yeah. Boxers, MMA. Uh, but again, it's like 80% of what I do is... Uh, general population yeah. and I, I was saying to you earlier like I enjoy doing this yeah. like I enjoy training people that's yeah. what I enjoy training you know or I enjoy doing yeah and that's massively yeah. important obviously and obviously the enthusiasm comes across as well yeah. it's kind of, uh, do you have space for people if people want to reach out and work with not you the not the minute no, so don't, <laughs> but don't if reach someone out wants to ro- work with one of my like my system my trainers do my system okay so the guys who work for us do our system so yeah 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 if you if 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 you think the system sounds good, then my trainers do that system. So if people still want to train with my system, they can't. Okay, brilliant. Yeah. And I know you're a big social media influencer, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where can people find you if they want to, want to go follow the journey? Uh, John Connor PhD on Instagram. Uh, hopefully by the end of 2023, there'll be an update on that book. <laughs> <laughs> Deadly. We'll keep an eye on it. John, you're yeah. an absolute gent. Really enjoyed that. Thank you so much for coming on. No problem. Appreciate it. Folks, that is us for another episode. Thank you very much to John. He is such a humble and modest guy and his level of knowledge is absolutely fantastic. So I just want to thank him again for taking the time out of his busy schedule to spend it with me on the podcast today. If you like what we are doing here at Primal, if you're enjoying the content, if you follow the pages, if you listen to the podcast, please feel free to reach out. I'm always so interested in the feedback that I get from people around all the content that we're putting out there. I get messages all the time from people who've been impacted in some way, not by anything I've said, but by the value that the people who come on this show are able to offer. And it means so much to me and really helps to inspire and motivate me to keep doing this and keep pushing forward. So please do reach out. And if you're following along, make sure that you're subscribed and you drop a rating or review because it definitely helps us reach more people and spread the message. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, have an absolutely cracking day and I will see you in the next episode.